what, what's that the who said that, you know the like rock and roll doesn't solve your problems it'll let you sort of dance all over them yeah, for a little while it. yeah is, is the the implied uh, second half of that hey everybody i'm very excited about this week's episode i got to talk to someone who has done it all when it comes to comedy this dude has written for every great show that's been around pretty much since the 80s I'm not going to give you his IMDb page, we talk about that in the episode, but it got me thinking, because you'll find out this is not my lightest episode. This one is pretty heavy, but some people's viewpoint is not constantly optimistic. Some people look for the most good they can in a world they're pretty pessimistic about, and this is one of those episodes. But what it made me think about is that Oftentimes, the best comedy comes from horror, comes from terror. I mean, why do you think the Jewish people in America were so funny for so long? Because they survived a mass extinction. And what could be funnier than the world right now? Well, the godless, orgy-loving Democrats just ousted one of their most senior politicians because he also turned out to be kind of like a, a creepy old dude. While the Republicans, who are the family values party of good old Daddy Lincoln himself, are more likely than not going to elect a real-life pedophile. I mean, that sounds like a fucking joke, right? Not a great joke. I'm sure if my guest had written it, it would have been way funnier. But sometimes that's the only way to see things. This is a stupid joke. So sometimes the only way to deal with terror is to find something funny about it. And if not something funny, you've got to find something you can control, something that you can write the rules for, and that's what this episode is about. One thing you guys can control is liking this podcast on iTunes, on Facebook at At Least Pod, or Instagram at At Least Pod. Find me, please like me, share me with friends. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can rate five stars. You can do that. You can control that. And you can also control you guys sticking around and listening to a message from another podcast on the Nerdist School Network, and then sticking around uh, for the episode. Hello, I'm Sean Christopher. And I'm Kyle Cecina. And we are the co-hosts of Cite This Podcast, the Wikipedia of podcasts. Each week we dive into the nethers of the online wikiverse, exploring the weirdest articles and even weirder lists. From top secret government projects to wild fears and phobias to over-the-top Star Wars backstories, we got it all. With special guests in comedy, comics, and more, you won't want to miss it. So come on and dive down the rabbit hole with us every Wednesday on SoundCloud and iTunes as part of the Nerdist School Network. Hey there, guys. Uh, welcome back to At Least There's This, a podcast about some of the small good things in our world that's a constant car wreck. All of our legs and our windshields are broken. I feel for you guys because I'm in the same hospital bed. I feel like there's been a constant downpour of uh, sexual assault allegations, and I am both upset and relieved at the same time. It's upsetting because... Just more and more people you thought you trusted or believed in. I mean, fucking George Takei has been implicated, are being outed for some some misconduct or, I don't know, misconduct is a light word in the past. But it's also relieving that maybe there's some clearing house that can go on. Maybe more people will be held to a higher standard. I don't know. Uh, it can be harder and harder nowadays to read the news. I mean, and that's just one thing that's happened. There's still the coup going on in Zimbabwe, even though we're not allowed to call it a coup 
the Russia scandal is coming to a head. But in a world... 75% of Puerto Rico doesn't have power. Right. Two months after the hurricane. Yeah, it's two months after the hurricane. Guys, uh, my guest shouldn't be talking yet, but it's all right. You'll, you'll get to know who he is soon. Um, in a world where that much is going wrong that often, at least there's... Elvis Costello. Hey guys, I am with my good friend and uh, a man I look up to. That's a bad idea. No, yeah, no. Uh, just a guy who I like, Dan O'Keefe. Uh, Dan, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, my name is Dan O'Keefe. I'm uh, originally from New York, and now I'm not. Uh, although New York is sort of like herpes, it doesn't go away. So even though I've been in L.A. since 1993, I think I'm still from New York. Uh, I've been writing for television for a long time, and... Uh, recently got sucked back into playing Dungeons & Dragons, to my great enjoyment. Yeah, I, I play with Dan every Monday night, and we also play D&D together. Um, <laughs> as If anybody listens to this podcast, you know that half of my guests are people who I play D&D with. Dan, just so you can thoroughly impress my listeners, do you want to tell us some of the shows you've written for? Uh, I, I've um, written for uh, Seinfeld, The Drew Carey Show, Married with Children, um, The Tonight Show at one point, uh, The League, uh, Silicon Valley for a long time, and now I'm, I've, uh, I've recently joined the final season of Veep, so I've, I've been, uh, I'm old. Basically, Dan is awesome. He'll say he's old. Very, very kind. Yeah, he's, he's old and cool. I kind of just want to know how your life with the artist started. Uh, well, it, it started because if you're growing up in the 80s, in the Reagan 80s, in uh, Westchester County in New York, uh, which at the time was rabidly Republican, uh, and you weigh about 95 pounds, of which about 50 mm. is glasses, <laughs> uh, you have very few... You in, inhabited a cultural space that was... You you were not connected to too much of the popular culture of the moment, and uh, Elvis Costello was one of the few emaciated, four-eyed, sort of uh, strange-voiced dudes who was actually on the radio and and um, and uh, singing intelligent, complicated lyrics uh, to really fucking weird melodies and time signatures and uh, and also just enraged all the time, which I was. And, you know, his obviously his early stuff gave way to his post-early stuff, I suppose. Uh, and it's not that the fucker isn't still enraged, but um, he went through a... a David Bowie-esque level of level of uh, number of periods in terms of the kind of stuff he played. I noticed that. Uh, again, yeah. I must preface this by saying I'm no musicologist or music historian or whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, I have no formal musical training. My brother writes Broadway shit. Really? So, yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, he and his wife, they're like, they're like a character out of a 
1930s musical. <laughs> he he has red hair. He wears vests, and he and his wife live. Uh, oh my god! Live in Greenwich Village, and the they vests. actually write. They write, well, He wears a vest. Yeah, and uh, he writes Broadway musicals. So you know. Wow. He's a character. You guys are just a pair. Well, actually, no. There's a third one who lives out here who's a screenwriter too. <laughs> your family is like a. Your family is a story in itself. It was an actual story. My, yeah. my, my shithead brother sold a sitcom to the WB network, you know, the one that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It was called The O'Keefe's, and it aired for eight episodes in 03. And so it's actually literally a matter of public record how fucking weird my family is. Re- really? I can watch a sitcom about your family? If you can find it, good luck. Uh, you and, can find anything mm, on the internet. Eh, I'm not sure about that. Okay. And, and my dad also invented that Festivus thing. So, you know, it is literally a matter of public record that there's mental illness in my family. So there you go. Okay. I knew you'd, like, your hands are, I knew you'd written that episode. I didn't know it came from your family. I co-wrote it with okay. uh, Jeff Shaker, Schaefer and Alec Berg, who are unindicted co-conspirators. They bear some of the blame for that. <laughs> and I didn't actually want to put it on the air. At all, but I was I was because Jerry found it amusing. So uh, and and I thought people would be horrified and it would hurt the show, but people seemed to like it. It's like still, I think one of the more favorite episodes of the show. People, it's a it's yeah. a ter- I mean, that's a mistake. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a very poorly constructed episode, which is mostly my fault. And it the, the stories that worked were not that one. I mean, actually, that one oddly hung together, but it's more that I just find it unpleasant because it, I actually celebrated that thing growing up, and it was much weirder. Too so, close to too close to. No, home. I mean the the reality was far stranger. Okay, but um, there's a book called The Real Festivus by Dan O'Keefe. You can probably get it on Amazon, even if it's like used because I think they stopped printing it. So I'm getting I'm getting the rage right now from you. The a little like, piece of the rage. Yeah, the Elvis Costello. Uh, the rage that you might have felt from him. So you actually had me listen to a couple of Elvis Costello records. Yeah, I tried not to overload you. You didn't. I think I, I got a good feel. I probably listened to two and a half out of the four. Um, the first one you sent me, that was his like early period. That was his second album. Yeah. Which one was that one again? This Year's Model. This Year's Model. I listened to some of Get Happy and then the Burt Bacharach uh, duo album I listened to, like all the way through. And uh, there's and, all, and I also sent you Imperial Bedroom, I think? Yes, I didn't have a chance to listen That's to That's the Baroque Bedroom. pop kind oh, of thing. Oh, shit, I would have liked that. Oh, it's, it's, it's great. And I also realized when I was on the way over here listening to his, his stuff, just yeah. how many other great albums. Like, I didn't send you, I didn't tell you to listen to Blood and Chocolate, and I should have. I didn't list, tell you to listen to Trust, and I should have. I didn't tell you to listen to Armed Forces, Although you probably know a lot of those songs because that was the time when he was on the radio the most. It was um, like the most. But popular. he's also done a ton of shit that's great in like the last ten years. Like uh, Momofuku is uh, has uh, some really indelible songs like Turpentine on it, and uh, every once in a while there's an album that just shits the bed. Like yeah. I really, really did not like. Uh, the hell is it called? Punch the clock. It was just ass. But everyone's like that. And I wasn't crazy about Spike, even though there's a song on it called Tramp the Dirt Down about dancing on Margaret Thatcher's grave. <laughs> Literally, it's about That's dancing great. on Margaret, which I would be happy to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was honestly hard to collate my thoughts for this because there's just so much great music. I mean, I, I sincerely believe he's the... A songwriter on the level with... Cole Porter and uh, um, Gershwin and uh, more recently, say, uh, who's that guy my brother's always on about? He's not wrong about. Um, the Sunday in the Park was George Guy. Oh, uh, Sondheim. Yeah, Sondheim. Uh, and and his, his lyrics are just 
delirious piles of extremely complicated involuted imagery that sometimes implodes under it, its own weight. I guess things don't really implode under their own weight. Well, I guess they could. No, I think they do. They That's collapse, collapse. You collapse into, under your yeah, own weight. You, you implode because of in, in, in some sort of internal force sucking yeah. you. But uh, he's actually, I think he, he's also written the greatest autobiography that a, a rock star's ever written uh, that came out like last year. And it's really well written and funny. And he's unbelievably lacerating to himself. Usually with those books, as I'm sure you know, you know, they talk up their most famous moments, provide some local color for the fans, and avoid controversies and, and ways that they were a giant asshole. Or make light of them. Right. Somehow. And he just he goes after himself and his entire family and uh, sort of dissects his origin myth. I mean, his father was a, was a band leader who uh, played swing in, um, in, in first London and then northern England. In I think the fucking forties and fifties and shit, because he's in his sixties now, I think. And um, it's just a fascinating book once you you know once you know the songbook. And uh, yeah, I noticed listening to him, and I I didn't have his backstory at hand, but listening to him, how jazzy it was, and I did not. I'd always known I. I never felt his music was off-putting, but I felt like it was hard to get into because it was very interesting. Right, like you listen to it, and it's not—it's not easy. Like you have to give it attention, you have to give it space, you have to give it time, and that feels like jazz to me. And I notice that there's well, there's something different about this, right? Like I'm expecting him to go to B from A, but he's going all the way to D, and it. I only know this because my brother's musician told me this while listening to me listen to it and not being very interested. Uh He did comment there were some peculiar time signatures and things. So he he does very interesting things with that. And and in terms of being jazzy, he absorbed a shit ton of jazz. I think uh, he started being interested in music because his his father's orchestra, which mostly played big band shit, Mm -hmm. they had to, because of some law or in England, play a certain amount of modern stuff. And there was a union deal that... You couldn't play recorded music, you had to have a live band. So basically they were playing like versions of Beatles songs that were on the <laughs> radio. So he would get the uh, the little uh, 45s. And um, he actually has a great song called 45, in which he ties 1945, the year of his parents' marriage, to him being, you know, at 45, sort of adrift. I think that's when his he got married for the third time or something. I can't remember. But uh, what the fuck was I just talking about? Well, we were talking about... Oh, jazzy, yeah. yeah jazzy. I would say that in terms of improvisation and just not following at least even where you think the song is going to go, let alone the album or the career mm-hmm. trajectory. I mean, say this, a great song like the the Clash song, I'm So Bored with the USA, which is pretty straightforward. Yeah. And it's great. And it's a barbaric yop that is, has lasted <laughs> a long time. And at the same time, it's really fucking simplistic. And it's, it's a bunch of slogans. And it's uh, Watergate tapes this and... Uh, TV detectives, whereas Elvis Costello had a B-side in like 81, I think, or 80, or 79, no, I'm sorry, it was on a a collection of B-sides called Taking Liberties, called Crawling to the USA, which is much more interesting and nuanced and damning. And it has lines like, uh, everyone is on their knees except the Russians and the Chinese, uh, the more things change. (laughs) But uh, it also, the lyrics are much more indicting of the arguable failure of the American experiment because it also shows the appeal of it. And it's, uh, I, 
I went down to the seat and to shrink down very tiny. It's about his desire to go to the United States and not, and resisting the influence and not, and the lyrics about uh, his uh, complicated feelings about the United States are in lyrics like uh, up your skirt and down your trousers is how he describes the influence of (laughs) America rather than just... uh, uh, I salute the new wave and hope nobody escapes, which is, I think, the Clash line. Yeah. The one is works, and it's a great fucking album, the first Clash album. It'd be hard to find a good punk album that's remotely as good. But Costello started off actually before punk in pub rock, playing you know, with uh, people like, I mean, not with, but you know, in the same type of shit as Rock Pile and some uh-huh. of Dick Lowe, those guys. And he had a punk phase and wrote some and maintained that energy and that attitude long after he had gone into Baroque pop. I mean, there's some unbelievably bitter songs on Imperial Bedroom. There's uh, like a very sort of sweet seeming kind of rockabilly song called Our Little Angel on King of America that if you listen to it, like if you listen to a lot of his lyrics, you actually kind of fucking wince. I mean, there are, most of them are about either emotional violence, literal violence, yeah. literal violence of actual humans against actual humans or nation states and blending them together and using them as metaphors for each other. And it's... I noticed how much it was about emotional violence because that, I mean, that comes to the fore, uh, how like sad and self-lacerating it is, but about usually some emotional trauma often relationships in the albums that I was listening to uh like it it takes a lot to make me viscerally sad but his music oh it's uh, brutally sad but it's also and it's vicious towards the subject of the songs but at the same time it's open about how unreliable a narrator he is and it's vicious against himself as well. He had a famous quote, which is that the only emotions... He, and it was an interview he gave very early on, maybe about 79 or 80, that the only emotions that he understands are revenge and guilt. Okay, well, revenge is not an emotion. No. <laughs> revenge is an act. But I, I, you know what he means at the same time. And yeah. at the same time, that's utterly untrue. There's a song off uh, Imperial Bedroom called The Long Honeymoon from the point of view of like a woman who actually has a new baby and realizes that her husband is cheating on her. And it, he... Up in for the first like seven albums, he very rarely wrote a song from a female point of view. Clearly, did not feel comfortable doing it. Well, he's done it a lot more lately. In fact, there's one on uh, the album something in Sugarcane. That's I dreamt of my old lover last night. That's a great, great song. Uh, I for, I forgot where I was going with this. You were gonna say something. Uh, I did have a uh, question, more of an observation. So you compared him to The Clash, which is a little simpler, or a lot simpler, still simpler. Well, that, that album was That simple. album, it was simple. Something that complicated, and you use the word Baroque for a specific genre of his, but it still seems Baroque even when he wasn't doing Baroque pop. Do you think growing up the way you grew up, feeling probably pretty alienated from the rest of the culture... Do you think you gravitated towards something maybe more difficult to get into because it felt niche? It felt like a place where someone who's thoughtful, someone who prefers thought over action, right? Someone who's not a football player, who's not a, a jock, can live in that thoughtful world that he's creating in his music. Uh, yeah, yeah, I could, I could very easily see that. I mean, uh he had a moment of being very popular, but then as his stuff got more complicated, 
it became less, I guess the term that began to be used in the 90s was alternative. It just became him. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah, I was, I was certainly not a football player. And um, given that I had my nose broken and got hit in the back of the neck with a two-by-four, so I oh, still have arthritis in my shit. spine. You know, the 80s were not a pleasant place in, in New York, or at least not for me. Uh, yeah, I was drawn to more sort of violent extreme music. However, the, at my school, the, the, the assholes all discovered minor threat at the same time. So it was hard <laughs> to listen to that. And, uh, you know, so I, one thing that people quickly decided, oh, that's a little old for us, was the stuff that he had put out several years before that when I was in, you know, elementary school. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to junior high or whatever. And I found that stuff was just as, you know, if, no, it was more angry and uh, despairing than Agent Orange or uh, Dag Nasty or Government Issue or any of the, you know, the bands that I liked. Right. Or the Dead Kennedys. And I'll never understand that. My my dad was fine with me wearing the Dead, a Dead Kennedys t-shirt. You know, given that he had actually worked on the Kennedy campaign, and the guy who had his head blown off. Shit. But he he had was horrified by Donna Summer. <laughs> <laughs> like and like, I, someone gave me an, like the album like as a joke, and I was yeah. like, and he was just he was just like he he thought that you know the disco music was somehow. He was a very weird guy, but yeah, it, and it, I think it was because he was hot for Donna Summer. Really, that yeah. makes sense because it is like disco is sexy and like dead. Ca- you don't want to feel sexy. Or yeah, feel he like was always trying to get listening. me to listen to jazz, but like you know, and, and at, yeah. the t- at the time I had no patience. Now, of course, I love jazz because I'm I'll be almost fucking fifteen. You have you have to like jazz if <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. But uh, there's a. I think once you hit forty five, it's just like you like jazz or you get out. That's <laughs> the rules of America. <laughs> yeah, there's a knock on your door in the middle of the night. There's a, a man in a black suit with black sunglasses, and uh, he's got like a Coltrane CD that you have to listen to. Well, there's there's two there's two briefcases, and one of them has a gun, and one of them has a, <laughs> one of them has giant steps. You know. <laughs> if you you gotta listen, it's to sort the of like hundred bullets. <laughs> one hundred bullets. Uh, one hundred bullets. One hundred bullets. You know the, the comic book? No, I don't know that book. What's that book? Oh my god, it's like one of it's this famous fucking great bunch of graphic novels. And Azarello, I can't remember who does it. Yeah. It's Azarello. Uh, it's 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 a it's a conspiracy theory based sort of. There's thirteen families that control America kind of shit. Uh-huh. Uh, but it does it really really well and really consistently, and the it's really worth reading. And I'm uh, at one point I tried to get the rights to develop turn it into like an hour, and I'm sure oh, someone shit. will at some point. Yeah. But I I've uh, been doing comedy for so long. The idea of me doing something serious is <laughs> hard to grasp <laughs> if you're an executive. I get it. Yeah, I guess I get that, but I'd love to see you do something dramatic. Well, that's, that's what I, that's yeah. why, the reason why I'm, I'm here is because uh, my brother and I, who've both been writing for a long time, have been talking about working together, and we agreed we were going to write this um, hour drama about the life of Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, who created Dungeons and & Dragons, and we, we sold it, and we uh, wrote it up, and we're very happy with it. It was a great experience. I mean, the check cleared. I ain't complaining. Uh, the project went nowhere, as most projects do. And then, I, but to, to research it, I had gotten out my uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, first edition, AD&D, from 79. I mean, it came out in 79. I got it in probably 83, 84. You're one of the and only three people I've ever met who have played AD&D. There's actually, you know, many of them. You probably just don't know a lot of people who are almost fucking 50, which is good. You should stay away <laughs> from us. We're fucking just, just death upon us. Uh, so I had that shit out, and my kid, 
who's eight, yeah. picks it up, starts asking me about it. And it's like, I'm like, okay, all right, you're going to take a minute from, you know, dicking around with Minecraft to give a shit about this. That's fine. Humor me. Fine. So I keep talking about it. And he gets more and more interested. And then I, he grabs my monster manual and he grabs, and I, then I find he's actually making a monster manual of his own and like writing down new monsters. And so uh, he wants to play. So na- and then next thing I know, we're seven months deep in a campaign. That's and, I didn't know you played with your kid. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going home later and I'm playing with him tonight. Oh, I did want to actually yeah, yeah. talk about. So I may, and this is a stretch. Sure, sure. Give me the stretch. Stretch. Elvis Costello. Seems a little, uh, he's broke, and you have to really care to get into him. I, I dispute that he's inherently broke. He's, he's, he, there's, he, wrote, he came out with a number of albums that could be characterized as Baroque in their uh, homage to psychedelia and, and 60s pop. I mean, there's always a, a 60s pop sensibility. Right. But if, you, if by Baroque in this context you mean that he's kind of complicated and sometimes difficult and, and Fair, I got that it, is what I mean and sometimes yeah. I will, it will take several listens before I actually like one of his new albums mm-hmm. uh, but I, yeah Com- complicated so I was using Baroque too liberally he's more complicated than a lot of other people which isn't always good yeah it can be always. fucking if it's com- shit's complicated for its own sake then it's pretentious and annoying and I hate yeah. it like some of his albums although very few because he, he bats has a much higher batting average than almost anyone else the reason I bring that up is Dungeons and Dragons, also pretty complicated. You have to really care to get into it. But once you get into it, it's amazing. And it you play it so well and it's easy. That's and not a stretch sense. at all. That makes that's a yeah. perfect that's exactly right. I would say that's exactly right. They they both appealed to me at a young age, partly because they were things I could do and not kill myself. But also uh because yeah, the, if you look at the I don't know if I ever made you look at the first edition DMG, it there are 40 times as many tables in that as in the fifth edition. Everything is, and the armor class is lower is better. But when you're rolling to hit something higher, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, I kind of think something's a little, been a, bit, a little bit lost. Yeah. In the, I mean, 5e is closer to the spirit of, of OD&D, the shit from 73. Uh, but yes, the first edition Dungeons and Dragons is unnecessarily complex. And there's elements to it that I don't even use. The armor class adjustments versus specific weapons. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's too it's much, but, too, but right. other than that, yeah, I revel in the tables and, um, in the same way that the overcomplicated, overheated arrangements and lyrics and just pyramids of metaphors that sometimes collapse under their own weight, uh, are also enjoyable to me in Elvis Costello, uh, in his work. What about that do you think is so fun to fixate on so enjoyable that there's so much i also play fantasy baseball you know absorbing large quantities of data and processing it gives an illusion of control which is sort of like uh what your podcast is about the, <laughs> the idea that i could that I, you know absorbing these figuring out what the fuck he's talking about and following the the melodies as they weave in and out and like wait was that a false note no that was intentional and you know uh figuring out who on the Toronto Blue Jays has the highest OPS in the current month. Those are all ways of, of uh, processing uh, a line of code, if you will, so that, you know, you have a sense of accomplishment. It's like, or like reading a mystery story, which I also devour compulsively. Yeah. It gives you the illusion of control. I understand that intensely and completely because I'm the same way with, with D&D rules. When I was first getting into it, if I was stressed, I would put myself to sleep tonight at night. Like, okay, this rule with this thing, how would this interact in what way? And it's just so 
comforting. And I feel that way with writing too, right? When you're writing something, you are, you're making your own rules that play off your own rules, that other rules, and it's just very You're controlling soothing. something. You're not in a sea of chaos and horror. Yeah, which is what we all sort of are constantly oh, yeah. swimming in, and having some piece of control is, is nice. When you meet another Elvis Costello fan who you can kind of sense is a fan in a similar way to you, do you feel, how, how do you feel? It actually never occurred to me, like, how do, how do I react when I meet someone else who, uh, uh, who is a fan of, of, uh, of Costello? Is, I just think, oh, they get it. You know? So, yeah, you've, do you, is it relieving? I guess, here's, what, here's what I'm driving at. I'd say a decent size of the people I've had, a decent sized group, not a decent size, like mm-hmm. a piece of their body, a uh, decent sized group of the people I've had on this podcast one of the reasons their thing, whatever it is, makes them feel makes them feel better about the world is that they find in it a community of like-minded people. And I was wondering, because this does seem very particular and specific, is that soothing to find that someone else likes the same I've never really like? found that because I don't, you know, I never went into any of the initial online forums mm-hmm. a million years ago mm-hmm. when, they, when such things started to be constructed. And... Um, other than concerts, you know, yeah. uh, where you're, you know, you're actually listening to what's being sung more than turning to the people next to you and saying, isn't it great what he's singing? <laughs> I, I mean, D&D is definitely that, but that's because yeah. that's more of a communal activity. Listening to, the, even though you're in a room with a, a bunch of other folks, you know, a concert is is not inherently a group experience. It's a, it's yeah. a bunch of individual experiences, I would argue. Unless you're at like a metal show or something, you're slamming into people. Then, at least yeah. I've had it described. Well, to me when as I a used to go to hardcore community. shows yeah. a billion years ago, that was more of a communal experience, albeit a quite painful one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was something cathartic about that in a different way. But mm-hmm. but this is a different kind of catharsis. It's more individual. I mean, I mean, in the original sense, the lyrics to individual songs evoke actual terror and actual pity. Cost- Costello makes you feel good. Just it's going to sound really stupid. It just acknowledges. Yes, everything is as shitty. This is so, uh, someone saying something no one else is saying, and that this is awful, And uh, but it's not being acknowledged. So it's more just reaffirming what I know to be true, which yeah. is that uh, this is a, a terrible, terrible place. Well, that's that's something in and of itself. Having, yeah. having your feelings affirmed by someone and turned else. into turned into a song and symbolically defanged, although not defanged in any real way at all, which is just... Acknowledging it, what, what's that? The Who said, uh, you know, the like rock and roll doesn't solve your problems; it lets you sort of dance all over them yeah, for a little while. It, is, yeah, is, is the the implied uh, second half of that. So, yeah, just um, there you go. Well, yeah, you're also seeing you're not you're not alone in it, and it does exist. Oh, you are like alone in it. Okay. It's just that you're seeing that it's real, and you're not crazy, and yeah. that someone's saying it. Be, you know, so that through all, yeah. all day long thinking about. Uh, that uh, interpersonal relationships are uh, doomed and fraud uh-huh. and, and uh, tragic under the best of circumstances. And uh, then, you know, but you don't shout that out loud right. on the subway. And then, you know, listening to it, you, that's, you can sort of purge that thought for your, from your mind for yeah. a few hours. So you're an optimist, right, Dan? You're an optimist? Um, what's the Orwell quote? If you want a vision of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. <laughs> That's something I used to say in college to sound cool, uh, and it worked. 
Uh, and now you believe it? I sort of, uh, I did, didn't want to, but he kind of looks like it. And it, I always kind of felt that was, I mean, come on. Fair. Uh, I've had optimists, pessimists, and everything in between uh, mm-hmm. on the show. I, I probably am, I don't know. I don't know what I am. I think I'm, I'm a very cautious optimist. I, th- I do think everything is shit but I am slightly optimistic in that view of everything is shit. Slightly. Like, not even, like, well, it'll turn out fine. It's like, well, it'll be okay? Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, you know, take what you can get. Yeah, I guess. Um, how is a world with Elvis Costello in it a better world outside of just Dan O'Keefe? Um, well, on, a, on, a, on the most literal level, he's employed hundreds, maybe thousands of, uh, backup musicians, sound engineers, you know, uh, uh, guitar tuners, you know, uh, he's, he's provided a lot of work for a lot of people, I suppose. Um, uh, he's gotten a lot of people interested in, a lot of people come to him early for his, his, his punkish stuff and then sort of then get interested in, uh, Burt Bacharach mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, or, or uh, if you listen to Get Happy, you might want to actually listen to what you know the real Stax Vault stuff sounds like, <laughs> rather than this this uh, meth-addled limey playing it, uh, and start listening to you know actual '60s soul um, rather than his insane version of it, which is great. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, so it's it's people have used it as a gateway drug to other kinds of music that are also good. Um, how is the world better with him in it? I don't know that it is. I just know that it's it's more uh, bearable for me personally. There was an example of something you're talking about. I mean, but you'd have to go back to high school or college, which uh-huh. is you, in the same way that when I met someone who played D and D. Yeah. I mean, at the time, you could generally recognize them because there were the people in the hobby store at the mall back when there were hobby stores and malls. You know, actually looking at the polyhedral dice, uh, that was a pretty easy. You know, it was pretty easy to quote unquote make someone in the spy sense or, yeah. the, or the TV cop show sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a uh, now and then I would come across someone who actually, rather than just having some greatest hits album, which I don't, I think he had a couple of those. I don't want any of that yeah. stuff. Uh, actually, I felt a connection to the music, and that was nice. It's nice. But most of yeah. those people are, I haven't talked to him in 30 years, and I don't really give a shit what happened <laughs> to him. But. Are you trying to introduce your kid to Elvis Costello? I'd like him to not experience the emotions associated with that music for as long as possible. Okay. <laughs> He'll probably come to it on his own. Okay. We've got a little more time left. And in that time, I, w- I give you license to kind of armchair philosophize uh, towards the audience. This is about Elvis Costello. Should they? Why should they? What do you think they can gain by giving him a chance if they haven't? You will lose your fear of death. That's a fucking heavy claim. No, it's bullshit. Okay. I, mean, okay. I don't know what I'm supposed to yeah. say. I don't know. Um, Talk about you. I, like, same shit you've just said. Maybe sum it up for them in a neat little bow like they need, the sheep. Uh, I have found that uh, the albums of Elvis Costello have been, have been an enjoyable way to pass the time, and uh, I've never... Uh, caused physical harm to myself while playing his music. <laughs> and I wish the same for you. 
<laughs> or, or, or anyone else. I've, uh, I have not been a danger to myself or others while an album has been playing. <laughs> That's a really great vote of confidence hey. for pretty much anything You take what world. you can get. Yeah, you really do. Um, is there anything more you want to leave the audience where they can find you if they want to find you? Do you want them to be able to find you? I don't want anyone to be able to find okay. you. Okay, you guys don't track Dan down. No. Um, anything you want I'm them... heavily armed. I really advise against it. Yeah, constantly heavily armed. And his arms are just heavy. Uh, anything else you want them to listen to? Uh, um, or you want them to, sorry, anything you want them to check out, any of your work from the past? Um, or the present or the future? Uh, no. Okay, no. Uh, I mean, I, I, if you enjoy uh, half-hour television, you can certainly track down some of those shows, but you know, there's, there's other things that are, you could also read a book. You, you could. could go for a walk. It's you nice. Could, uh, I don't know. You work with your hands or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you? Do you work with your hands? Do you Fuck go for no. walks? Absolutely yeah. not. You don't I, go I, for I walks? walk. I, I yeah. Yeah, obsessively walk, but you know. Uh, yeah. No. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to me and Dan. Uh, I hope we picked you up a little bit in this bleak, bleak dark night of uh, the collective soul. I appreciate every time you guys listen, respond to anything you heard on Facebook, on Instagram. Maybe I'll get on Twitter. I should probably get on Twitter. I don't want to get on Twitter. It's but I fucking should. awful. It T- is. Twitter terrible. is like someone shitting in your face nonstop. It's but it, it, <laughs> some it's, people it, like that. Uh, to be yeah, fair, no, no, that's, but I don't mean in in a sexy way. And I mean, right. I mean in in terms of absorbing news. I mean, I guess it's how you, it's the quickest way to do that, since. Uh, the big media companies committed suicide and didn't monetize. Uh, didn't really leave us with anything. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. A, it's an efficient way to, to be exposed <laughs> to news. It's an efficient exposed. way to get shit, to get shat on continually. Well, if if that's what is flying through the air and you want to know what's flying through the air, it's a good window to stick your head out of. <laughs> Very beautifully put. Thank you. It's uh, my it, favorite shit-related little... Uh, parable, if you will, uh, that I've come up with recently. Is that a recent one of yours? Just now, yeah. You have a lot of good shit parables. What's your line? It's like bringing shit to a piss fight or piss to a shit fight? Oh, yes. That was a line of mine uh, on Silicon Valley. You just brought uh, piss to a shit fight, you little cunt, followed by him slapping a child off a bicycle and throwing the bicycle over a hedge. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, is, yeah. which is another way of saying that if you want a vision of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. If you want a vision of the future, ima- imagine uh, a screaming uh, a large man in a bathrobe slapping a child off a bicycle and vandalizing his bicycle. <laughs> God, your bleak imagery translates to comedy oh, oh, very dang. well. Uh, Do it make, again. Yeah, it makes me giggle. Uh, audience, thank you so much. Uh, I love you. We love you. I'm, I can't. I don't know Dan. you. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I I neither uh, like nor dislike you, but I wish you the best. That's a vote of confidence right there. Uh, check it out if you like it. Share it. Subscribe it. Uh, subscribe to it. And I'll be back in two weeks with another episode.
For class and show information, visit Nerdistschool.com.